Welcome to the McKnight Group's podcast, Changes. My name is Madison Stoops, and I will be moderator of today's podcast. In 2020, we at the McKnight Group are celebrating 50 years in the business of serving churches and leading in innovative church design and building. We're sharing our stories in this limited podcast series, and today we welcome back our president, David McKnight, and our vice president of architecture, Philip Tipton, to cover changes we've seen in churches over the years, as well as planning for future changes in the church. Philip, let's start with you. What would you say have been some of the biggest changes in church design over the years? Well, church design in the 1970s, when our firm started, really followed the same design principles uh, from the prior 500 years. Church design over that period of time may have differed in size and grandeur from the smallest country chapel to the most ornate European cathedrals. I know we can all picture in our minds the long, thin uh, worship spaces with pews. And again, it might have only been a few seats or several thousand, but that that shape was really here to stay for decades, uh, centuries in, instead. Also, as a part of that, even in the greatest cathedrals in Europe, you had these really small narthexes or what we would call foyers today. And we also saw that all the way up until the 1970s and 80s and even 90s in church design in the United States and around the world. These little spaces that were almost nothing more than a vestibule, that is a major change that we've seen in church design. The foyer is so much more important than it used to be when you enter a building for the first time. Um, instead of just being a very small space with a restroom on either side and maybe nothing more than a small hallway, now the, the foyer has become one of the preeminent spaces in the entire building, sometimes half the size of the worship space, sometimes all the way up to matching the size of the worship space, if that's an intentional part of a church's design and what they want to do in that space. That is a significant change. But again, the worship space itself uh, used to be so long and thin, and the, the seats in the back were so far away from the platform that it was really not good for the people or the speaker to be able to even see those people in the back or, or have any connection with them at all. And so the shape of worship spaces has changed pretty significantly. The designs that we do these days are much wider and shallower, uh, just a completely different orientation, if you will, the, so that the back rows are much closer to the platform, to the speaker, almost like theater in the round, if you can imagine a semicircle drawn around the pastor. Uh, the space is much wider and not nearly as deep, almost just a complete opposite of how it used to be for centuries. And so, again, the, the design of churches, churches may have looked completely different, but that, that concept was around for hundreds and hundreds of years, and that's a very significant change. As a part of that, multi-use has also become pretty common in church design, and we were on the forefront of that as a company back in the 1980s and 90s. The multi-use designs that we do as a firm, I would say, are still quite a bit different than many uh, other companies and church designs around the, around the country. Our designs are, are always designed for worship first, and then if you are able to do other things in that space, great. Uh, some churches want the ability to be able to do banquets or conferences. Some churches want to do athletics, and we can incorporate that pretty easily in the kind of space that I've described that is wide and not nearly as shallow or as deep from front to back. 
even in the finishes of the room, the spaces are um, the spaces we design are, are much more designed for worship. You should never feel like you're worshiping in, in a gymnasium. Um, that I think has been so common in so many multi-use spaces I've seen around the country that have been done poorly. Uh, it's so easy to feel like you're worshiping in a gym. Um, you should never feel that way. If you're going to do multi-function, multi-use, multi-ministry, it should feel like if athletics are a part of your ministry that you're doing that in a space designed for worship. Or if you're having a, a banquet or a dinner or a conference, it's still in a beautiful room designed for worship first. It should never feel the opposite. And so we have been very intentional as a company about multi-use in that way. Another huge change, of course, related to this is the seating. Pews were almost always uh, part of that design that I described earlier, the long, skinny room. Again, whether in a country chapel or a huge cathedral, pews were very common for centuries. And so when we switched to the, the wider, shallower spaces, and again, multi-use in many cases, then we began to change from pews to chairs, usually stackable, padded, uh, much more comfortable, certainly much more flexible, and that's been a significant change. So those changes, the, the size of the foyer, the shape of the room, the type of finishes, the seating, uh, I think are all massive changes. It doesn't seem like it perhaps, but if you consider that we're departing from hundreds and hundreds of years of similar church design, uh, it's a pretty significant change that we've seen. What church designs have changed for the better? I think the foyer today is much better, of course. A lot of times they were just airlocks or vestibules to keep weather uh, or a break in weather from getting into the sanctuary. Today, to design a foyer on purpose, we're trying to do a couple things. We're trying to make that foyer a hub of the church. So the, no matter if you have kids you're dropping off, no matter if you're going to a class, no matter if you're coming to worship at some point, you're going to try to go through that space and you have a better chance of seeing somebody you know, being able to talk to them, build that relationship, because that is the most important part of the foyer today is it's the relationship building space. So not just having a large space for people to hang out, but also in that large space, creating some intimate seating areas, places where two friends can sit down and talk and, and have a serious talk with one another, or uh, you're comfortable meeting and greeting a brand new person coming in. So the foyer today is relationship building and connections. Also related to the foyer, we're seeing significant changes in recent decades about where the foyer is located in relation to the parking, in relation to the street, um, also handicap accessibility, universal accessibility. Uh, the, so many church designs in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, again, I know we can all imagine this exactly. Um, a church would be s located on a property such that the worship space was forward toward the road and you had to drive back at a driveway and the parking lots are all in the back and then the very small foyer was in the back as well the the problem with that is that visitors can't see if anything's even going on at the church the parking's all hidden today we want to be very intentional about letting new people know that there are people here there's activity here it's a safe place to be you're not the first one here on sunday morning uh, go ahead and pull in and you can see um, even into the space. We think a lot about transparency and how to allow 
uh, a visitor especially to see all the way into the building with glass on the front and to again help them to be more comfortable about where they're headed and so that they know there's activity and uh, things going on in the church before they even pull onto the property. And again, so many church designs uh, that we've described over the decades and really centuries had grand staircases going up to the front door. And uh, a, a big part of our work in recent years, very recent years, is just helping churches figure out how to be accessible, how to get wheelchair access and elevators and get rid of the stairs uh, that go into their worship space. The location of the foyer, the location of the parking, and the uh, connection to the road and just how a person navigates, finds their way in. Uh, we've, we've made it so much more user-friendly. Easy to see, easy to find, easy to, to get into, and uh, that, that is a significant change as well over prior centuries of church design. David, what do you think has been the biggest change in the church facility the last 50 years? In the last 50 years, the building as a tool has really changed how people view their new facilities and what they want. So people who understand that this building can be a tool for the ministries they're trying to do a, a use to reach their community, those people are doing some great and new things in their community. The church is no longer just a copy of what the previous church down the block did. We understand each church is unique and the tool should be unique to fit that church. It doesn't matter if you want to be a very traditional style of whatever style, whatever century you want, if you want to be new, cutting edge, if you want to reach an older generation, reach a younger generation, whatever you're trying to do, that building should aid you and help you and tell people what you're trying to do. What are some things you don't design in church buildings anymore? Well, things we don't design anymore or rarely design would be coat rooms. I should say we design coat rooms just not as big as they used to be. In today's society, people tend to bring coats with them and put them on the chair beside them. They're uncomfortable leaving their coat in, out in a lobby or somewhere like that. The coat room size shrinks or disappears. Uh, there can be equipment coat racks to put out seasonally for the people who want to put there. But we usually don't take the space to do that as a large coat room. Uh, sound rooms. Back in the day, you would have a small soundboard and a guy in a completely separate room trying to operate, which doesn't work at all because he's not hearing what the sound is in the room. He's just hearing what he hears through a speaker. To better mix the audio, the sound booth needs to be out in the worship space where everybody else is hearing it. Other features, steeples are rare today. Many churches are trying to blend in or relate to their community and steeples are not common anymore. So unless you're trying to be intentionally a traditional look, a lot of times you're not putting up a steeple of any kind. A few more things that may only fit with traditional church designs, and we still do a few of these, but not a lot, would be stained glass. Uh, it's pretty rare that we're putting new stained glass into church designs. We often have clients who have some from a prior building or from you know decades earlier, and we are happy to reincorporate those into new designs. But it, again, it's so expensive to do new stained glass, and so it's just pretty rare 
that we get into things like that. I've already touched on pews. Uh, we are very rarely doing new pews, although we have had a few clients who, um, in, in order to meet a specific design that they were after, uh, wanted to do pews. And so in that case, that's fine, but it's, it's pretty rare. Again, it limits the flexibility, the usability of a space. Uh, but if it's like a wedding chapel or a space that's very, very specific for one purpose, uh, certainly it can fit. There really are exceptions to just about all of these rules that we're saying, but uh, that's a pretty rare one. And the design of platforms as well has changed quite significantly. Uh, we are not doing as many choir lofts these days. Um, we are not doing as many organ chambers and pipes and dedicated organ rooms. Uh, some churches still put in new pipes or refurbished pipes, but that's a very small uh, niche group of churches, and it's, it's pretty rare uh, overall in, in the United States. Another feature that we would have included up until very recently were bookstores. These were quite common in foyers. We've already talked about the size of the foyer, how it's grown over the years, and very often as a part of that is a cafe, maybe a children's playland, and bookstores. Uh, but in the last several years, of course, with online shopping, uh, bookstores have disappeared, not only out of churches, but just about off the face of the earth. How has the actual work changed over the years? The physical work has changed a little bit in terms of, as Philip mentioned earlier, long and narrow sanctuaries used to be the common, and those were built out of masonry or wood with wood roof systems and wood structures. However, when we go wide with a sanctuary and seat, uh, large clear spans can easily be achieved with steel, much better than wood, and so you become more steel and uh, non-combustible materials versus wood. So that's one way the church has changed. Another way, just over the 50 years we've been in existence, we've seen churches move out of the city and build new facilities because they understood the tool and they understood that their building was uh, going to be difficult to change, and so they decided to start over, moved out of the city, got pieces of ground, and built new facilities, and that was easy when they could get money. And then, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, when the economy went south and money was hard to get, churches couldn't get loans to do that. And so then they started looking at their existing facilities and saying, how can we change that and remodel that? And so really in the last 10, 15 years, uh, the amount of remodel projects has gone up quite a bit, not only remodeling churches, but remodeling existing buildings. So churches would buy a store, a grocery store, a movie theater, a office building, a car dealership, and then have us design a renovation. So churches would take these new facilities and have us remodel them into a church facility. And we've done all of those types of buildings and changing. And that is continuing to be a trend, buying an existing building and remodeling it versus starting from a empty field with nothing in it and then building from scratch. What has changed, but the church doesn't understand it has changed? Well, some churches do understand, but many still do not get that the building is a tool. 
there are still many people out there that will call us up and say, hey, I want you to build me a church. And we're asking, okay, what do you want it to do for you? Well, I don't know. I just want a church. The design being on purpose so that the building is a tool is what churches need to understand. If you want to be traditional and build something that is down the street because that fits your ministry needs, that's on purpose. But just copying what somebody else has done because you drove by and saw it and liked it or they're attracting a lot of people with it, just because it worked for them doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And there's too much of let's copy a program out there versus, okay, God, how do you want me to carry out this vision to reach the people around my church? And so churches that get that are dynamic and changing people's lives. Churches that are just copying what somebody else is doing struggle with implementing it, build a facility that doesn't necessarily meet their needs, their personnel, their culture, or their vision for ministry. How has technology changed in churches over the years, and how does it affect the church's functions? Well, we've seen, obviously, a huge increase in the importance of technology and the equipment. The the equipment actually has gotten smaller over time, and so the dedicated spaces that we have for sound and video, audio, uh, lighting controls um, in recent years have actually gotten smaller than they might have been 10 or 20 years ago. But the technology is huge. Technology even affects the interior ambiance of a space. Uh, Used to be a few years ago, maybe decades ago, that the feel of a room would be totally about the materials, the paint color, stone, carpet, you know, what the finishes were. But now it's very easy to control the feel of a room with technology, with colored light. And so we're seeing a lot more in um, dimmable, and colored LED lights and moving and colored theatrical lights, Um, even environmental projection. We talked earlier about stained glass and how rare that is these days, but with environmental projection you can make an entire room feel, an entire wall feel like it's all stained glass. Um, Or in an instant you could change it to feel like you're outside on a mountaintop or Uh, at the beach by an ocean. You know, there's just so many things that you can do with technology and color uh, that affect the feel of a space. With the advent of streaming online with Facebook Live or just on a church's website, of course the the control of the online stream has become much more important. And so we are now seeing dedicated spaces uh, just for that one function. And so you've got a sound booth or video control, audio control, uh, and lighting all in one space together, perhaps, and then a whole separate room somewhere else in the building uh, where the online stream is controlled. And so that's another change that we're seeing. And especially now, uh, in 2020, with the virus, that has almost become exclusively the message that's getting out. In many cases, that, uh, that is the entire church. It's coming out of that one room a small room, uh, just controlling the online message. And so lots of changes with technology for sure. We've run into some churches that have older facilities and technology actually worries them a bit and trying to even make simple changes has them looking in themselves and saying, how can we really function better 
as a church to reach more people, to be more effective. And so struggling with that internally, going back and forth, helps churches change and make sure they're on purpose for what they're trying to do. Some simple changes can also, it doesn't have to be great, grand, new HD cameras and switchers, environmental projection, all of that. It could be as simple as a, a church recently pastor said, there's one thing I want out of this project, and he took me over to the back wall of the sanctuary, and on there there was a dozen dials and switches uh, put in at different times, and and he says, in order to get the lights the way I want them for the Christmas program, I have to bring the head usher back here and show him in exactly what order these switches and dials need to be flipped and turned in order for to get the lights where I want them. He says, I want something easier to do when this project's over. And he loves it because now he has one little switch on the panel on the wall with four buttons, four scenes. He can touch a button and it goes right to the scene he wants. And of course, upstairs in the audio video room, they can control every light individually as they want. So something as simple as taking these old conglomerations of switches out and just redoing your lighting setup can make you more enjoyable when you're serving and working instead of trying to work with the building you have. Let's talk about preparing financially for church building. In our last podcast, we covered how the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010 was a harmful blow against churches seeking funding for building projects. What is the process now for church funding, and what does it look like in the future? We see churches being much more conservative, which I think is not a bad thing when it comes to their finances. Getting money from lenders is more difficult, and so a church saving up more money analyzing their projects more, making sure they understand what they're spending. Those are all good things no matter what age or time frame you're in. Denominational lending is a much easier way and better way many times for churches to get money versus traditional banks. Traditional banks, you need to find somebody who not only is willing to lend you the money, but also understands your church a little bit, has a concept of what church your church is about, not just viewing your church as the same as the church next door. Beyond that, there's some creative things happening. They've been happening in the last 10, 15 years with some peer-to-peer funding uh, organizations developing for people to invest in to be able to lend to churches. So a good way to prepare for a future fin- financing of a project is not new, but it's still probably the best thing you can do, which is develop a master plan and figure out what you can tackle at one time. What is phase one? What is a reasonable amount of money you're willing to spend or borrow on a project? And create a phase one. Get some more space, get some more facility to help your ministries out to move you along and to grow. It's hard for a church to be able to afford a very large project at one time. What examples do you have of churches that have made themselves flexible and adaptable for future changes? Beaver Creek Church of the Nazarene is a church that planned to be more adaptable. 
when we designed that sanctuary in the early 90s, we designed it so that it could expand, had classrooms in the back, but we finished the ceiling, the high ceiling over it and provided ways for HVAC and things like that. So we had planned for this building to be able to expand without adding square footage. And we did that about 10 or so years later, came back and expanded that facility. Turned out very nice for them. Uh, that was on purpose. Um, other churches know they're going to change. They just don't know how or plan for it. So I would use Grove City Nazarene as an example. They have three multi-ministry rooms and those rooms have changed in the 35 years they've been on that site multiple times. The original phase one is now part of the children's ministry. The choir room is now part of the uh, children's ministry offices. The youth gym is now the school gym. The spaces have been remodeled and I think that's the the big point here. You want to plan so that you can easily remodel something, not have to go through an extensive building program. There's another way churches do that, and we've done this many times, where we build some space we call shell space, which is empty space, so it's part of the building envelope, but it's not finished. Sometimes it's not finished. It just has a concrete floor, no walls, no ceiling. Sometimes it just has a gravel floor. But this is space because it's easier to come in and finish out that that room that's already within the envelope rather than trying to add on to your facility. The danger with that or the balance you have to keep is you don't want to build a gigantic shell space because you've put a lot of money in building a shell and you can't use it. So those are ways we have helped churches think about how to be uh, adaptive and uh, be ready for some changes in the future. What opportunities do you see for the churches now that may not have existed several years ago? We've touched on it already in this podcast and in a prior podcast. It's certainly common these days for churches to look at buying and remodeling existing buildings. Whether they are big box stores or former restaurants or office buildings or car dealerships, there are all kinds of opportunities out there that just did not exist uh, 10 years ago. The or 15 especially, the the recession of 2008, then leading into 2010, 11, 12, uh, we really began to see that kind of church project become much more significant and uh, have done a lot of that here in the last 10 years. So those kind of opportunities are out there. Uh, Obviously the economy is still hurting right at the moment, so there are spaces available, uh, sometimes for really, really good deals. Uh, And so sometimes remodeling an an existing building uh, could certainly be more affordable than building a new new building on a new property with new parking lots and new utility connections. And so that is definitely a, uh, a common thing and I think a good opportunity today. An example of that was Far Hills Church that we just recently worked with. They actually had a large church building and through some decline, it was actually much larger than they could really support or want to support. So as the church redefined itself and relaunched itself, the, the opportunity came for them to be able to sell their building to a college. And so they sold their building to a college that came over and they 
cohabitated that that uh, facility for a while. In the meantime, we did a feasibility study at a car dealership that was just around the corner. We the church bought that dealership and we remodeled it into a new church facility for them that supports them very well today. Here in August of 2020, the church has had to learn how to navigate all the changes this year from the pandemic. What changes do you see becoming the norm for churches coming out of this season? Well, there are a lot of answers that we could give to this question. Uh, Fortunately, a lot of the designs that we have done over recent years or even decades uh, lend themselves pretty easily to transitioning to a COVID era church service. Uh, The flexible spaces that we've designed movable seating. It's very easy to socially distance and put chairs further apart and still handle decent sized numbers of people uh, in a pretty large space uh, with the confidence that you know people are adequately distanced from from one another. Um, And also many of the churches that we've designed already had pretty significant technological abilities and so most of the churches we've worked with in recent years were already doing online streaming Um, But even for those who weren't, it's very easy uh, to transition into that. And uh, the spaces that we've designed, I really feel, um, have helped with that in a big way. But we are also seeing some new things, things that we haven't necessarily done on every church project. Like in restrooms, we are now using pretty much touchless fixtures, automatic hand washing automatic faucets and flushing toilets in some cases and automatic urinals, exterior doors that open automatically, touchless doors, doors swinging out of rooms instead of into rooms so that you can push it with your elbow or your foot and not have to actually touch a door handle to pull it towards you to open a door. Uh, These are all changes that we are seeing. Um, Little things that people may not even notice when they walk into a building but um, it's affecting definitely our designs in some big and some small ways. Technology will also keep some things moving forward and changing in the buildings, such as right now sanitizing lights are something that you're hearing more and more and more about, and I don't know they're mainstream yet, but they certainly have the opportunity to get more mainstream in buildings today. Uh, HVAC systems that sanitize the air and clean the air. Uh, those are our systems that people are talking about. Uh, they've been there there for a while, but just not in popular use today. We've talked about design features and technology, but what trends are you seeing in church size? In the early 2000s, we were designing a lot of very large church projects. Um, assembly spaces, worship centers that could seat 1,500, 2,000, 3,000 in some cases. And that's been a pretty significant change that we've seen in recent years, especially again since the recession in 2008. We've seen a lot of uh, more conservative sized church facilities, more in the, the four, five, 600 seat range. But even on the high end, uh, 12 to 1,500 seems like the new. Uh, max that most churches would even want. And as a church approaches that size, usually they're already in multiple services. But rather than become a mega church on one campus, it is much more common now, again, that churches are starting new campuses and new sites and having smaller venues, more small venues than one large venue where everybody comes. 
And of course, again, now with the virus, uh, that is, I think, desirable for sure, that churches would desire to have more smaller spaces or smaller gatherings, what, no matter what the size of the space is, than one humongous gathering all at one time. And so the, the campus multi-site concept is huge. Smaller worship spaces uh, are much more common. And we've got several clients who uh, their total attendance is definitely in the mega church range, multiple thousands, four, five, six thousand. But they are meeting in four or five or six different locations in worship centers that seat 300 to 500. Um, and so that, that is becoming, I think, much more common. It's very easy then to have flexibility um, if you're wanting to do different kind of venues, weddings, for instance, or um, smaller events. It's difficult to have a wedding in a sanctuary that seats 3,000 people for, and for it to feel good uh, in any way. And so these smaller venues actually are more usable uh, sometimes, which maybe would go a little bit uh, against your expectation. But, but it is true that smaller venues can be used for a lot more purposes and feel good and feel appropriately sized for all of those opportunities. Given the current state of things, what advice would you give churches about the future of their buildings? Make sure you're you're focused on your community. Uh, We see communities gathering together and and binding together uh, to support one another, and the church needs to be a a key part of that. Uh, One of the key metrics a church should have is if your church cease to exist, disappear tomorrow, would your community know it? Uh, and so you need to strive to be that. So how can you use your facility for your community? Also, buildings are going to be just getting more expensive and costing more to maintain. So taking care of what you have, preventative maintenance. The church has not been good in general in putting money aside to take care of things like roofs and HVAC systems, parking lots, and then all of a sudden they're faced with large bills to repair something that's falling apart. I would also tell churches, as I have for many years, to look at your existing facility and look at the ministries that are being effective in your church right now and make sure that those ministries that are effective in reaching people and touching lives have the space they need over a ministry that uh, may have seen its better days uh, in previous times. Uh, give those ministries that are being effective the priority in space. I would also suggest that churches save money when they can for future planning and future facilities. I know that is difficult at times, but if you're saving money for maintenance, then hopefully uh, some of that maintenance money you can get ahead on, and if you have a building need come up, use that for future options. Going forward, what are important questions you ask any church preparing to build? Well, the first question we ask is, who are you designing for? Who are you building this building for? Is this for your congregation? Is this for people inside? Or is this for outreach? Is this for evangelism? Is this for reaching your community? Let's make sure we know up front who we're designing for. And then what ministries are you designing for? And then let's make sure we get the input of those visionary leaders that are operating your ministries. Those would be important questions to ask. Regarding church building, what are some challenges that churches may face in the future as they are considering a new project? 
There are quite a few things that churches face today that are getting more difficult over time. We've touched on these in prior podcasts, but we're still seeing a lot of um, resistance when it comes to zoning, especially. A few years back, it was pretty common knowledge that a church was a good neighbor. A church in your neighborhood would help property values go up. And uh, most people felt pretty good and positive about having a church as a neighbor. That's really changed. Uh, We see a lot of uh, jurisdictions, cities that we work in that are really negative toward churches and uh, citizens who do not want churches in their neighborhood or near their house in their backyard. And so uh, we, we are heavily involved in those, helping churches get through that process all over the country. But it is becoming more difficult over time, something churches should be aware of. We also see all kinds of regulations, environmental regulations, code requirements getting so much more difficult. Uh, These are things that we're able to work through, but it affects a lot. It affects the expense of buildings uh, with increased insulation and uh, significantly higher requirements. And, of course, environmental uh, goals are not bad in and of themselves, but they affect a lot of things. And so churches just need to be aware of that. And then I would just say red tape is becoming uh, a big issue. Building permits are increasingly difficult to get. Um, The process is cumbersome. The paperwork is cumbersome. But the encouragement that I would have for our clients is that we handle that for them. So for the most part, they don't ever have to know about that or get involved in that. We handle it for them. But it is certainly more and more difficult over time. How do you advise churches to prepare for those difficulties in building? As Philip outlined those challenges, one of the best things you can do is build relationships with your community leaders. So those people in power, mayors, trustees, building officials, fire departments, don't brush off their concerns, don't ignore them. Uh, Be active in trying to be a good neighbor and answer what they're trying to do. Build that relationship. I have uh, two recent examples in the last few months where we've dealt with churches. One church uh, had a great relationship with the building official, and they wanted to do something, and they had me come in and meet with him and walk through a part of their facility describing what they wanted to do. And he was very cordial, very appreciative of that, as well as saying, There are code things you have to follow. I'm going to give you as much help as I can by code. So that helped out that project along quite a bit. He was active in talking to other people in the administration on zoning and other issues and paved the way. So that can help. The other church had years of neglecting what the zoning officials and building officials were saying. And when their project came around, It took quite a while uh, to go through, detail out everything that would be done and write it down in several meetings and several months. Uh, The trust wasn't there between the the officials and the church, and so the church had to build that back up and do that because the church has future projects, so they're really repairing a relationship, and they're paying for some of those things they have done in the past. So I think those community relations are very important. Another thing you can do is, of course, start building funds now. Start putting aside funds for future development. You need some kind of fund for the future of your building. 
And if you're not using it for planning, if nothing comes up, you can use it for those things that wear out and HVC units and carpet and paint and parking lots and roofs and things like that. But build those funds now. I would add that when churches are considering buying a building, an existing building to remodel or buying a new property or perhaps trying to decide between a few properties or a few existing buildings, which one to purchase, uh, they should get us involved early. Um, we can help look into things like zoning, which again is becoming more and more difficult over time. We can uh, do feasibility studies to figure out which property or which existing building is most feasible and most affordable. Uh, and, and from a lot of different perspectives, zoning is only one, but from a utility perspective and environmental per perspective, um, and, and structural and just the, the quality of the existing buildings. There are so many things to uh, look into and we can help uh, and certainly provide more help and better help the earlier our clients call us. But uh, we, we can look into and help avoid some of those difficulties that we're talking about uh, just by getting involved early and helping our clients uh, think through everything ahead of time. What other changes do you foresee in the next 50 years in church design and building? 50 years is a long time, and we've spent a lot of time talking about what's happened in the past 50 years. And I don't think my father had an inkling of where things would be 50 years ago when he started. You're lucky to have been able to project five years into the future. With today's conditions, you would be lucky to project five days into the future, it seems now. What will happen for church design and facilities in the next 50 years? The only thing I can say for sure is that God's church is full of creative people who will go to great lengths to share his gospel. There'll be, there are going to be some new ideas and some new concepts and some new ways to reach people, new ministries, new methods, and it'll be exciting to see those develop. And I'm sure as churches challenge us with some new ideas or concepts, it will stimulate the, the creative juices within us to keep designing facilities that are tools to reach communities. Thank you, David and Philip, for sharing your reflections and insights on the many ways churches have changed over the years and how we can prepare for future church planning. To our listeners, thank you for joining us, and if you'd like to hear more, check out our website, mcknightgroup.com. In our next podcast, we'll close out our 50th anniversary podcast series by celebrating and hearing stories from our longtime employees.